two weddings and a funeral, and a christening. This is The Godfather. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Seen and Heard. Hello. This is the podcast where two entertainment assistants go through the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And we're here this week for a very special episode. But before we get into the special episode, we do have an announcement to make. We have a Patreon. Yay. (laughs) We have a Patreon. We are a two-person team, and we want to continue seen and heard for as long as possible. But the Patreon will help us to soar to even greater heights because, Jackie... What? We are going to start doing an extra episode each month for patrons. (gasps) The exciting thing about the bonus episode is it is not business as usual. Jackie... It is not business at all. Uh, The bonus episodes will probably feature, since we do talk about such prestigious, universally acclaimed masterpieces of cinema, we thought, you know what? We want to do movies that aren't as good. You know, we, we we like fun. We like to have fun. So for these bonus episodes, we're going to be doing kind of B-movies or just less prestigious movies. Cult, yeah, some would call cult. Hopefully it's things that neither of us have seen. It might not be the case like that always, but that's kind of what we're going to try and go for. Things that neither of us have seen. Yeah, Yeah, so we thought it would be be a fun balance to do stuff that's uh, a little less prestigious. Uh, (laughs) Stuff that, you know, genre genre movies, exploitation movies, noir, like all of that kind of falls under the banner because our main series, obviously, is the Sight and Sound List. And then we have our personal print series, which are like all-time favorites for the two of us or just like really formative movies. So we wanted to create a third tier for films that don't fit under either of those first two that we could explore. And we just thought it would be a nice balance. I selfishly, too, thought it would be hilarious to subject Jackie to like a bunch of kind of like nasty movies and violent movies and stuff like that. So that's that's uh, that's the gist of the bonus episode. So go check out our Patreon. Uh, Link is in the show notes. And yeah, um, so we're doing The Godfather, which, you know, because you've seen the title. But we also have a very special guest joining us. Today, we have with us on the podcast, Daisuke Beppu. If, if you don't know, Daisuke runs an um, incredible YouTube channel. He's basically, I would say, I would call you Mr. Criterion. I would honestly <laughs> say in terms of like, I don't know a person that's more of an expert on the releases that Criterion has and like the films themselves. If you haven't seen his channel, it's incredible. But yes, we're very excited to welcome you to the podcast today, Daisuke. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm very honored and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Very we're much so, so happy to have you. And I, I must warn listeners, we are recording this remotely because Daisuke lives in Japan. So we're using some online platform to record this episode. Just wanted to put that out there. If it doesn't sound as beautiful as our past episodes, that's the price we are going to pay. And the fact, too, that Jackie and I normally record in the same room, but there was a bit of a COVID scare. So we're all separate. We're all in different locations for this episode, which I think this is the first time that's ever happened, right? Yeah, I'm really excited to see how this turns out. I actually have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's well, it's we like... It's like uh, <laughs> It's like one uh, storyline is in New York, one storyline is in Sicily, one story. Yeah, so it's going to be, it's like one storyline exactly. is in Nevada. Look so it's, it's like a parallel thing. It's wonderful. 
Yes. Exactly. For any Godfather references going for. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm speaking way ahead of myself here. Paul. No, no, not at all. Yeah, we keep it nice and casual. But um, yeah, so as we do on the show, uh, let's start with you, Dicecape. What have you been watching recently that's not The Godfather, shows, movies, anything? Oh, thank you so much. Well, once again, thank you very much for having me on as a guest. I'm very, very thrilled and excited to be able to speak to the to the two of you. And uh, uh, cheers to you and your uh, keep up the excellent work and the very very great great coverage of uh, these very important films. So, um, and uh, so yeah. So what I've been watching recently, um, let's see. My family and I just recently got into Netflix. Uh, so, uh, it's a lot of family viewing, uh, my son in particular, who's, uh, who's six, he's now, uh, getting into Harry Potter movies. And so, uh, we've been watching Harry Potter movies a lot. Uh, I think Netflix Japan, we have up to the third one here available on Netflix. So we've been watching wow. those. Only uh, till the third one. That's so strange. Yeah. I think it's just to do, I think they just had him on since maybe the end of December or beginning of January. So maybe they're just having them made available one at a time. Mm, so maybe we're at the point where it's just up to the third one and then we'll keep on going when they when they uh, hopefully decide to make the rest of them available. But uh, so that's, that's very good. And uh, we had uh, a lot of Harry Potter discussions uh, in the household, you know, who is this character? What, what does this mean? What, what is going on? So that that's also a lot of fun to, to do as well. So, and then also maybe on the, uh, let's see, what else? That's, I, I guess I watch a lot of uh, uh, Blu-rays and DVDs at home. So I wish I could go out to the theater, but I haven't seen any recent releases in the theater. So uh, in lieu of that, or instead of that, I've been watching on DVD uh, recently. Let's see, what what did I watch recently? Um, gosh, gosh, it, gosh, I should have prepared more. Um, I saw that you did a series on Twin yeah. Peaks. You literally have an episode for each episode of oh, the yeah. series. So, wow, you know more. You know more than I do. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I'm very honored. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. So yes, I have been watching Twin Peaks uh, lately. I've been a big, big fan since many years. So, uh, and so I've been watching uh, Twin Peaks, and I've been talking about each of the episodes. And at the moment, yes, I'm currently discussing on my YouTube channel Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, the film from 92 right so uh and with the hopes that uh, that dis- those discussions will be ongoing and then when those are completed we can go into the much uh, uh much lauded and much celebrated return uh twin peaks return so th- those will be forthcoming but yes so i've been watching a lot of twin peaks lately and enjoying every single minute that's great i love that twin peaks is one of my favorite things ever and yeah for people who listening who have not seen dice case channel in terms of the deep dive that you do, like literally, I'm not kidding when you have an episode dedicated to each episode of the series. And I think, yeah, like you said, so far, you've done four or five episodes just on Firewalk with me. So I, in terms of like exhaustive in the best possible sense and just in depth, like you are getting in there. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I maybe I should learn how to use editing <laughs> software on my on my uh uh videos because uh, it's it's uh maybe i should try to pare them down a bit more but yes it's it's a fun thing to just try to get everything off my chest as it were and talk about things that i always wanted to talk about and just never had the opportunity until now so so thank you very much for for those very kind words i'm very appreciative thank you no 
No, of course. I love it. That's the, I think that's the magic of your channel, too. It's just these sort of unfiltered thoughts. Um, Jackie, what have you been watching? Brief Encounter, the David Lean film, which is perfect. Like, that's a perfect movie. I don't know. Like, it's so strange to me that David Lean made these, like, small, intimate things. And then he became, like, the master of the epic. Like, it's so crazy to me. Um, but I absolutely loved it. So gorgeous. The script is incredible. Of course, it was adapted by the playwright who wrote the play. Just amazing. I loved it. And then um, I did a little catching up. I saw The Green Knight from last year, or I guess now two years ago, which I hadn't seen. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was incredible and breathtaking and just so I don't know, like literary. I mean, it is based on this epic poem, but it really did have such a great like literary feel. And visually, it's great. And I love how it's literally just like a coming of age story, but it's set in this crazy fantasy world. And I really, really loved it. Yeah. And then I saw Under the Skin because I had never seen it. Really? And uh, first also time? Incredible. Yeah, my first time. Incredible. Um, yeah. I don't really know what I can add to that. I feel like... Because it's like when the when it became 2020 and there were all these lists about the great the best films of the past decade, I saw it on a bunch of those lists. And I was I, I had always said to myself, like, what is this movie it came out in 2014? I was pretty young. Like, I wasn't really going to see like indie movies, international movies. So finally, I sat down and watched it. And it's incredible. So I had a good week. Not too much. But that's what I did. Nice. I love it. Greg, what about you? So I, I crossed a big one off my list this last week because it was playing in 35 millimeter at the New Beverly uh, was Gummo. I had not seen Gummo, the Harmony Korine film. And I, I more or less like his, his films. I know he's a very divisive filmmaker. And this was one I'd put off for a long time because it's supposed to be really disgusting and disturbing, which, which it is. But I was actually taken with how funny it was and actually wasn't prepared to like love the movie in the way that i did i actually thought it was a near masterpiece in terms of um the balance the balancing act of having something really harrowing and horrifying and then the next scene is light and funny and it kind of like alternates between the two modes while also saying something you know significant and something much deeper so i was very surprised by gummo i, I was just expecting to be shocked by it and that's that's what i went to it for and i'm surprised that it was actually a substantial film and then I've been watching the uh, the Star Trek movies. I know Daisuke's been featuring them on his channel, but longtime Star Trek fan. And my wife is not really... I remember when I met, it was something that she kind of like made fun of me for, uh, you know, playfully. And so I made an effort. I'm like, okay, just watch the first Star Trek movie, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which I love. It's funny. A lot of people don't like the movie. They think it's boring or overblown, the Robert Wise film. I think it's one of the best ones. And so I was like, just watch the first one. If you don't like the first one, we don't have to watch anymore. But she, she liked it enough. So we did Wrath of Khan after that, which is great. So uh, both were well received by her. And I haven't seen these movies in like maybe 10 years. Some of them like Wrath of Khan, I see like once a year. But some of the other ones, like it's been a while. So I'm very excited to continue the Star Trek journey. Very nice. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you're you have on to a let Star me know what, uh, what she says. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was just going to say, Greg's on a Star Trek journey. Dice K's on a Harry Potter journey. I like these like family-oriented journeys you guys are on. It's very nice. Yeah, 
absolutely. Well, should we get into this week's movie? So yeah, this is The Godfather. So this is on the the brand new Sight and Sound list, the 2022 list. This is number 12. And on the 2012 list, which is the one we're still working off of, this is number 21. So it did jump a nice like nine spots there. Oof. But yes, this is from 1972. This is Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. The Godfather is a 1972 mafia film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It was co-written by Coppola and Mario Puzo, based on the novel by Puzo. Score by Nino Rota, with additional music by the director's father, Carmine Coppola. Cinematography by Gordon Willis. The film tells the story of the Italian-American crime family, the Corleones, headed by patriarch Don Vito Corleone. After he refuses to get his family involved in a narcotics deal, With drug lord Salazzo, there is an attempt on the Don's life and he is hospitalized. His sons, Michael and Sonny, and their conciliary, Tom, devise a plot to assassinate Salazzo and the crooked chief of police working with him. Although Michael originally did not want to be part of the family business, having gone to college and served in the military during World War II, he agrees to kill them both during a meeting in a restaurant and immediately flees to Sicily. There, he meets and marries a local girl, Apollonia, but unfortunately she is killed in a car bomb meant for Michael. Meanwhile in the States, Sonny is killed while trying to defend their sister Connie from her abusive husband Carlo, and Michael returns to the States and becomes the head of the family with his father's guidance. He devises a plan to move the family business to Nevada by buying a casino, although the owner is refusing to sell. He marries Kay, his American girlfriend from before he fled the country. Knowing that the other families are coming after him after Don Vito's passing, Michael has his men kill every Don from every family, as well as the resistant casino owner. Mo Green. Has- what? <laughs> no, I said oh, Mo yeah, Green. yeah, yeah, yeah. He has Carlo killed, realizing that he had framed Sonny and set the trap for his death. When Kay questions Michael about it, he lies, feigning innocence, and the movie ends with his loyal henchman kissing his hand and appointing him the new godfather. The film stars Marlon Brando as Don Vito Corleone, Al Pacino as Michael Corleone, James Caan as Sonny Corleone, Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen, and Diane Keaton as Kay. It also stars Talia Shire as Connie Corleone and John Cazal as Fredo Corleone. So the film has a very sordid production history, as you might know. Um, the book was optioned for only $12,500. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, that's so <laughs> little. Um, the other directors who were approached to direct this film were Sergio Leone, but he was busy making his own gangster movie, Once Upon a Time in America. Peter Bogdanovich, which I think is funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had just done the last picture show. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I don't. He straight up like he got back to them and he was just like, "I'm not interested in gangsters." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter Yates, Richard Brooks, Otto Preminger, and Coppola initially declined as well. He thought it was sensationalist and cheap, but he was in debt and he decided to do it. But as time went on, he really changed his attitude about the series. He saw it for what it is, which is really centered on family. And yeah, I mean, Coppola was constantly clashing with Paramount. Uh, They wanted more violence. He wanted less. He fired the editor and the AD. At one point, Elia Kazan was offered to take over the project and Coppola knew about it. And there was all this tension. Of course, the studio didn't want Brando because he had this like terrible reputation. The other finalist, do you guys know who was so close to getting the role? It was Ernest Borgnine. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Which is hilarious. You can see it? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And of course, Al Pacino was hard to cast. This was his real big uh, breakout role. And uh, so the Italian, do you guys know about the Italian American Civil Rights League? So it's basically, it was basically a vehicle for the mob. It was like a PR vehicle for them to deny their existence. And they like threatened the producers. They asked for the word mafia to be removed from the movie. So it's never said. Apparently it was, it was only going to be said like once or twice anyway. And they asked that all the money that the film makes from the premiere be donated to the church that they were building. <laughs> but like, it, they're basically the mob. Which is just, I don't know, so perfect. Well, they had they had real mob members as crew members and actors. Like the guy that plays yeah. um, Luca Brazzi, that was a real like mob hit guy. I forget no his way. name is escaping me right now. Yeah, he was a boxer. He started as a boxer and then he was like an enforcer for the mob. Wow, love that. It was filmed on location in New York and Sicily. And Coppola was able to do that because at first they wanted it to be shot in Kansas City and take place in Kansas City and contemporary. They didn't want it to be set in the 40s. But he really pushed. And then because the book was doing so well, it was, con- it was on the bestseller list, the budget went up. And that's how he was able to shoot in New York and shoot in Sicily. Uh, thank goodness, honestly, because... I don't know what this movie would be if it was set in Kansas City. (laughs) Um, And another fun piece. I mean, there's like so many fun facts about the creation of this movie. I don't want to go into too many details, but I got to shout out my girl, Sofia Coppola. This was her first film role. She plays the baby that is baptized by Michael at the end, Connie's son. She's playing a little baby boy. Um, Less than a year old, Sofia Coppola appears in this movie. And Talia yeah. Shire, of course, is the director's sister. So it really was like a family matter. There were a few other extras. I think his mom was an extra. Bunch of, bunch of fun cameos. And the film was a blockbuster hit. It broke all kinds of records. It was a sweeping critical success. Uh, Kubrick apparently said that this could be the best film ever made, which is crazy, coming from Kubrick. Got 10 Oscar noms, one best picture. Uh, funnily enough, so Nina, uh, Nino Rota's score... His nomination was revoked because they found it too similar to his score for another movie he did called um, Fortunella. Did you guys know Which about this? Which is crazy. This? It's crazy to me. But have you listened to the theme of Fortunella? Let's play it no. now. <laughs>
it's the exact same score. It's just faster. It's the same song. Wow. Of course, there's so much drama about the Oscars and this movie. Al Pacino boycotted because he didn't feel that he should be in the Best Supporting Actor category, uh, where Marlon Brando got one for um, Best Lead Actor, even though Al Pacino has way more screen time than Brando. Um, And of course, Brando turned down his award in protest for the way that Native Americans uh, were depicted in Hollywood. And he had Sashin Littlefinger go up. It was a whole thing. You guys can look at if you if you don't know this story by now, what are you doing here? (laughs) That's what we're here to tell people. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's also this was all detailed in the offer. Also, the I didn't I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen Um, it either. But yeah, the Paramount Plus series uh, details the whole making of The Godfather. Of course, you can't mention The Godfather 2 without mentioning Robert Evans, the producer. Yes. Tell us about him, Greg. Just producer extraordinary. He actually just died, I feel like, a couple of years ago. But he was like the young boy that came in like to Paramount and kind of shook things up. And he was responsible for you know Chinatown and Rosemary's yeah. Baby and The Godfather. So he was... It, it, you know, in the glory days of the the studio system, well, as the Hollywood system is kind of declining and the new Hollywood is taking off, you had real producer visionaries like Robert Evans, who knew just kind of how to put together the right people. Yes. Um, anyway, let's let's do initial <laughs> thoughts. Daisuke, do you want to start us off? Oh, yes. Well, thank you very much for that. That's a very comprehensive and uh, excellent description of the film. And thank you. I want to ask you because we we asked you what movie you would want to do because we wanted to have you on as a guest regardless of the movie. We had you choose the movie. So maybe in your initial thoughts, you could tell us like why The Godfather? Because I was really I was kind of shocked when you said The Godfather because I thought you would pick something like super obscure because you're so knowledgeable and you've seen so many movies. So tell tell us a little bit about that as well. Oh, well, you're very kind. Yes, I, I guess I could say just from the outset that I'm a huge fan of The Godfather. I've seen the film so many times, and maybe I first got wind of the film on VHS tape when I was maybe way too young to probably have seen it uh, or comprehend what was going on. So I was very young when I first saw a little bit of The Godfather on VHS tape. I didn't see it all the way through uh, because it was still scary for me in a lot of parts, but uh, I, I kind of got knew about it. And then also when I was a little boy, I didn't see the film directly, but I remember I was in the other room and my mom and dad were in the main room watching The Godfather on TV or whatever it was, VCR or whatever it was, a rental, I forget exactly, but they were watching it on TV and I was still too young to watch it with them. So I was in the other room, but I remember seeing my dad talk to my mom because my dad had seen the film so many times by that point but it was my first time for my mom to see it at that point and i remember we can talk spoilers here at this point yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay so the i remember specifically and i would i must have been what maybe six years old five six i forget but all the other memories are hazy for me but the one that sticks out in my mind is i remember when Sonny gets killed and my mom's, I wasn't looking at the movie per se. I was, I was hearing what my mom was and my dad were talking about. And my mom was so shocked. And then I remember at that point, my mom asking my dad, so this means, and my mom's like, wow, oh no. And so this means Michael's going to be the head of the family, right? And my dad said, yeah, that's right. Keep, let's watch. So yes, that was <laughs> such a huge moment for me. And my mom caught on. And indeed, 
my mom, now that I think about it, my mom was maybe having some some foresight. I don't want to get too much into some of the other films because I know this is The Godfather, not uh, you know any of the other films. But maybe this has a little bit of a hint of of uh, uh, of uh, you know the, the, all the dynamics between Sonny, Michael, and Fredo. And maybe she already had a sense of what that was in her head when she made that comment. But yes, I remember. I remember that was a a, a big big moment for me and my mom. Not only. S- the, the film and the legend that grew in my mind, but also seeing how my parents were reacting to it. And that's also very important to me. And then, of course, when I watched it growing uh, growing up, watching it, watching it, watching it, and uh, VHS mostly, and then uh, all these uh, home media releases, and it just, uh, I, I can't rem- I can't keep count as to how many times I've seen it. It's just, um, it, it's it's that immense for me, yeah. I love that's that. That's incredible. <laughs> I love that. And could you tell, could you maybe like, shed some light on the home releases i'm sure you know so much about like the home release of this movie i kind of want to leave oh. it to you i feel like you have something great there oh no i mean i i don't have any huge expertise in that area i suppose i i mean i i have i remember when i first really got into the film which was during the time in my life when i, I was actually living in in england for a little bit of my childhood and it was actually during that period where i i'd see the tapes of uh, of at the time what was made available was the godfather and the godfather part two and you'd have that very iconic image of marlon brando in sort of a, a darkness and shadow a type of a portrait with the cat and then uh, a part two would be a little bit different there wasn't any part three video release at the time yet or it was maybe uh, forthcoming but uh and it was a two two tape was it a two tape? No, was it a one tape v- VHS or two tape VHS? I forget exactly. I think, I think it was two tape. I think it was different for the UK and the US, ah. but uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure about that. I think for part two, it was definitely two tapes, but I forget exactly for part one. I think they might have fit it all on one tape for the UK VHS that I had, but I forget exactly. But in any event, yeah, so it was that, that, uh, uh, those VHS tapes. And then, um, I didn't, I, I didn't uh, follow up on any other home media release of it until, say, the what was it, the Coppola restoration or something. Yep, uh, the, that was the, it. Yeah, and I think it, they later re repurposed that to call it the Omerta version. I forget, but I think it was the original release of that that I got, and which had all the films on it. Which and then also, uh, and then even before that, I had uh, DVD releases, but then it was the blue release. And now very recently, of course, the, the, the 50th, uh, anniversary release of the film to, and also combining all the other films with the 4Ks and, and the re-releases. So I have all that as well. So, so, uh, so it's, it's all been a, a fun type of journey. I don't have everything that's ever been created in terms of physical media releases for the Godfather, but uh, what I do have, I've enjoyed immensely, and and uh, continue to, hope to uh, continue to enjoy for a long time to come. Absolutely, I would say too the 4K. I've watched, I've had the 4Ks for. I think they came out about a year ago, something like that. But I've watched them a couple times so far, and they just look incredible. Like they did such a great job with those 4K discs. I agree, Jackie. How about you? Nice. Okay. Thank you for that, Daisuke. That was that was great. I don't know, like, how do you give initial thoughts about a movie where you don't remember really? Like, it's just so, like, okay, here's the, I, here's what I think the only initial thought can be about this movie. Wow, this freaking rules. Because seriously, like, 
every time you can't have any other thought while you're watching this. It's the same thought you're having when you're when it's your first time, when you're revisiting, when you're young, when you're old. It's literally just this is freaking incredible. Um, so that's my initial thought. Just just that that will always be my initial thought about it. But yeah, like many, many people, um, this is my grandpa's favorite movie of all time. Uh, so growing up, you know, it was always on and I very, I do remember his VHSs were, um, it was two VHSs for each movie. Um, so always on. And it's just so funny because like, I can't think of this movie without thinking about my grandpa because he used to make spaghetti. He used to say like, it was the Godfather recipe. Like I got this from the movie and, um, (laughs) yeah, like he's created his entire persona to be Vito Corleone. Like, and he's not Italian. He's not, obviously not in the mafia. He was, he's retired now, but he used to be a school principal and a bishop. <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows the power of this movie and the power of this man. So it's like, this time around when I was watching it, I was just like, God, like, I think Vito is just this icon of all time for men and like, for better or worse, really. Like, and it depends on the person. and. I don't know. This time, I mean, obviously, I love this movie. I've seen it a bunch, but this time around, I was really like, "Wow!" Like now, I get it, Grandpa. Like this is it. Um, so that's like my oh, initial so, thought. So wait, wait, just to clarify too. So this viewing that you had in prep for this episode, this was the the viewing where it all like clicked for you in like the big way. Like you always liked it, but this was like the realization. No, no, I've always it's I've always it's always clicked. I've always loved it. But this time around, I was trying to like it was like Vito specifically. I was like, wow, like yeah, I get it about Vito. I mean, here's the thing: you watch part two, and that's like there's two different Vitos that live in your mind, right? There's like Brando and there's De Niro. And I don't know, something about this time around, I was just like, yeah, like I get it, Grandpa. <laughs> so those are my initial thoughts. I mean, I have I have more, but I'll, I'll save it. But it's like, I just love that this movie, like, I think that it can define a person's, it can be kind of like a roadmap of the milestones of someone's life. Like when you watch it when you're young, like let's say the average a uh, boy watches it when he's young and he's like, oh, wow, like they're so badass, so cool. But then like that boy grows up a little or girl and is just like, oh, like at what cost? And then you get a little older and you're like, oh, the poor parents. And it's just like you reach all these milestones when you're watching it. And I just I can't wait to like continue watching it over the years and think about different things every time and feel different things every time. Yeah. Greg? It's evergreen. It's evergreen. Yeah. So... I think I first I first saw this in my I think freshman or sophomore year of high school and I was aware of it before then like most everyone is but I think as a kid who grew up on like Spielberg movies like this always seemed pretty boring like it's a bunch of people standing in dark rooms talking and as a kid you're like what's this I don't I don't care about this and um so this, it, I don't know what what prompted this, but the summer between, I think it was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, my friend and I, my friend Kyle, got it in our heads that we wanted to get the DVD set for The Godfather. And in fact, that D, the, the DVD set from like 2000, 2001, something like that, it was like a very, I just remember like the early days of Amazon and stuff, you'd always see it pop up on there and like each of the, I remember each of the pullout like sleeves had a different character's face on it. And it always seemed really like deluxe and like, oh, that's like so adult. So I remember we just got it in our heads. We're like, we want to buy the DVD set of The Godfather. Cause again, this is 
20 over 20 years ago where you know you can't you can't stream it streaming was not a thing this is even i guess we could have gotten the disc from netflix like the mail away disc but anyway we got in our heads we're like we're gonna do this but we're we didn't have jobs so we spent an entire summer mowing lawns to be able to afford we each got our own copy of this dvd set i remember we got it from a circuit city rest in peace oh and circuit city and i remember taking it home we both went i think we went to his house and we just watched the first godfather i think the thing i think he had seen them before and he was telling me how great they were so i remember seeing the first film and yeah it was uh love at first sight i mean (laughs) you know what what's there even to say like it had everything you could ever want in a film. And I think it just immediately connected with me. And I, the first Godfather movie started a love of mob movies at that age. You know, I fell into Sopranos because Sopranos was brand new at the time. I fell into Goodfellas, stuff like that. And it even went as far again. It just goes to show you like when you're a kid, you know, a kid that doesn't know any better from like, you know, lower middle class, like mostly white neighborhood, there was this kind of like, oh, that looks cool. Like, and I remember because I was a band kid, I I played saxophone, I was in band in high school, and I kind of started like a gang in band, and we called ourselves the Chupacabras. Um, And I remember it fell apart because we wanted to make one of the guys like, hey, we're gonna make you, you're gonna be made. And then someone else got butthurt that it wasn't them. And then the whole thing fell apart. But (laughs) <laughs> At that age, it was like a very enticing thing to have like a mob. Did you um, go to the mattresses? Yes, we went. No, we never fought anybody. <laughs> a bunch of like scrawny band kids. But um, no, I mean, you know, the legacy of The Godfather. What else can I say that hasn't been said? I mean, it, it's a film like it, in one of my favorite movies from the 90s, You've Got Mail, the Nora Ephron <laughs> movie, which this movie is constantly referenced in a beautiful way because I think it's so perfectly captures the the magic of this movie is this there's so many great lines in it that you can kind of use for life you know there's leave the gun take the cannoli there's go to the mattresses there's a bunch of lines in this film like a man who never spends time with his family can never be a real man and you start to like get that into your head and it almost becomes like a textbook you know like it's just yeah and i also come from you know my grandpa was half italian but like you would think he was full because that was like what he celebrated the most and he was president of this italian social club in the bay area called the colombo club and so my first ever job was waiting tables but it was with a lot of the guys like that they look like they came right out of the godfather so when i finally saw the godfather because i'd been going there my whole life and i was like i it just if there's an authenticity to it which is i know why coppola wanted to make it because he didn't want to let someone else in. Like Coppola grew up, he's so Italian. He grew up in such an uh, Italian upbringing; it was so important to him. Uh, and to to get that, to get the feeling down of like yeah. these are how Italian Americans talk. This is how they act. This is what they look like. This is what they dress like. So when I first saw this movie, having grown up in this like Italian social club, I was like, this feels really authentic, and these people feel real, and like they had just stepped out of this place, the Colombo Club. That's awesome. so yeah. I mean. I'm I'm going on way too long, but uh, you know, uh, no, this is one okay. of all time great movies. That's and I, I will say, maybe we should have this conversation really quick. Of like, a lot of people think the second one is better. I res- I totally respect that, and I think the second one is also a masterpiece. But I think yeah. I still slightly prefer the first, I just because well. you get Michael starting here, and he and then he ends here. Like there, yeah. he he takes a bigger journey, whereas in part two. 
it's just like Michael becoming more and more of a monster, which is still a great watch. And I'm not demeaning Godfather 2 in any way. It's a it's basically also a perfect film. But there's some I, I watch the first one more often. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? I prefer the first one because I love Sonny and I love Vito and I love the whole Sicily section. I mean, there's some Sicily in the second one, too, but it's. Yeah, like what like what you said, Greg, it's more interesting to me to see Michael starting from where he is in the first one to where he ends up rather than progressively just get worse and worse in the second one. So also, I love the like the fact that the second one isn't really in New York except the flashbacks. Like, I don't know. There's something about New York I just love. So I prefer the first one. What about you, Dice K? Oh, it's such a hard choice. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's a hard choice. <laughs> I, I would say, yes. Um uh yeah i will uh, it, it's too difficult for me to choose yeah. <laughs> that's, that's okay. fair that's totally fair <laughs> i love the second one so much should we talk yeah. about the third one the elephant in the room um, we'll save that for godfather <laughs> 2 we'll save that because that's also on the list but i want to talk oh, that's about true. The, yeah. the bump this i mean the kind of uh rise this took in terms of the list because in 2012, it was number 21, and now in 2022, it's come up to 12, number 12 on the list, um, which I think is so valid. Like, yes, this should be before the searchers and rules of the game. Like, it was ridiculous to me in the 2012 list that it wasn't. So I'm very happy. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's, you know, there's no escaping The Godfather. And I think, too, it's it's one of those films that's important, but it still holds a lot of, like, it's still a really entertaining movie. And I think even people who aren't like into, you know, cinema in quotations can sit down with the Godfather and enjoy it because it's just such an easily enjoyable movie. It just like rolls off the screen. Definitely. I mean, every, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's my brother's favorite movie. He's not into movies that much. Hmm. And my mom loves it and she hates gangster movies. Like it really is a universal movie. I think it's family first and foremost. You sound like Vin Diesel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Um, it is family because it's okay. So like maybe we should just start by talking about Vito and just how like, yeah, I mean, I think that is the draw. It's just like from the get go. I mean, like one of the most iconic things is like the fact that when the movie opens, one of the things he says to the undertaker that comes to ask him for this favor, he says like, I can't remember the last time you invited me over to your house for a cup of coffee. And that always sticks with me. And I think that's so telling of the entire movie because he is, he has centered his life around this idea of like family. And you know what? I, I call him an ideal. I, I do think that he is kind of this like ideal for men like my grandpa, for example, because he has the best of both worlds, right? He's like, he's so family oriented and he puts his family before everything, but he's still so respected and powerful. And that's a fantasy. He's very that's old world. Exactly. But that's like, that's not a real, that's a fantasy. You can't have that in reality. You can't have power and respect and also put your family first. Like, and that's, the movie uh, knows that. And that's why it's like, I don't know. I think too, there's like, um, there's a moral center to him too. Like his, exactly. his resistance in, in getting into the drug business. It's like, exactly. which obviously is Michael's first big thing is like getting rid of that. But it's. Yeah, it's telling because, like, yeah, it's right. He is like the ideal patriarch in, in right. every sense. And he also has a, a what I like to there's a almost a boyish childlike quality about him. I mean, you, Jackie, you mentioned this first opening scene, which is so critical. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking to Bonacera, 
and he's trying essentially to have Bonacera say out loud a type of of uh, oath in a manner of yeah. speaking. And when and uh, you know that's why you say you know I can't remember the last time you invited me to a cup of coffee, and now you you come to the the day of my daughter's wedding and ask me for this type of favor. Yeah. So this is a, a big deal, but he's also approaching it like kind of like boys on a playground, you know, kids on a playground. Totally. And he's saying, remember the moment, I always love it when, you know, Bonas, when Bonas Harris is, is re- hesitating to say, right, be my friend. And then you get a shot of uh, the dawn and he's kind of just looking down, you know, like, like a kid would. Yeah. As, as he's trying to, you know, he's just trying to, he doesn't want to admit it, but he's, you know, the, that little type of uh, repartee. And then when he says Godfather, he yeah. said he got, he got what he, he wanted and he says good. And then, uh, and yeah. then, so it has that kind of kids on the playground type of innocence about it. But then when the door shut and he's leaving, then it becomes all business. And, totally. you know, he says, uh, give this to Clemenza or something, you know, yes. and then uh, handles it. So it, it, it has this almost, almost, I don't want to say two faced quality about it but there's always actually this sense of levels that are going on and you realize immediately that this don corleone uh, is a very complex character indeed that he even on the, the surface level which also has a sense of authenticity he seems to be like this almost this 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 child this boy who's who just wants to make make friends definitely which makes him so appealing on the one hand and then when the door shut we realize that we are reminded of just the kind of real deadly business that he is about to embark yes. upon because of what this, uh, what uh, Bonacera is asking him to do, which is a very, very violent thing. Yes. Asking, and I love how he uh, goes, the, we're not murderers, despite what he thinks. Exactly. It's so exactly. good. Yeah. Good. I think it's a good choice on the on Coppola's part, too, to not follow that thread because, you know, we know what's going to happen. It's it's extraneous to then see it happen in the film, exactly. and I like that it focuses because on that on the wedding scene, which which so perfectly sets up this film. Uh, we'll talk I guess about just to it. briefly, yeah. But like you follow only the Johnny Fontaine thread. Um, yes. Which so are, yeah, here's one of my big things when I was trying because this is the first time I'm watching this with like a critical sense, and so like I was really I was watching it and I'm like. This movie is a balancing act. Like it is so good the way that he balances violence in this movie. Like, yes, we see, um, for example, we see um, Luca Brasi get choked. Right. And then we see the Don with the assassination attempt. And then the Polly killing is like super held back and wide. And again, like you say, we don't see him. We don't see the uh, Bonacera plot go through. Um, because again, I think he's just doing such a good time, such a good job at balancing this. Like we cut from like Vito shooting to Radio City Music Hall and it's like Christmas and then like Christmas Italy stuff, of course, is balanced with the sunny stuff. And in the long massacre sequence, you don't see Sal being killed. Like you have that long massacre sequence, right? But then they know Sal is the traitor. We don't see him killed. We just see him get in the car. Like, yeah. He's always, it's give and take. And that's what I love about it so much. Even Carlos I do death. love that. Yeah. Oh, Carlos death. I feel like Carlos death is, you feel that one. The way you his feel foot it, comes but you don't glass. see it. He breaks the glass. You don't see anything. You feel it for sure. It's a different kind of sensation, which is just so good. He's doing so many different things. It's not just seeing a bunch of guys get shot. It's so much more. You're absolutely right. And it's, I think, set up by the first burst of violence, the first kind of gore shot that we yes. see. And you mentioned it already uh, in, in sort of the Johnny Fontaine, yes. uh, Walt's storyline. And this is the first 
real, we've heard a little bit, right? We hear a little bit about, uh, you know, um, going to make him an offer he can't refuse and about, um, you know, what, to, what the, some of the past when Michael's talking with Kay and, and some of this legend or, or, or myth or maybe, uh, I don't know, some kind of scary story, but we're not quite sure. But then we see, we see it and we hear it in this, of course, the very infamous or famous sequence involving the bed and what's underneath the sheets. Yeah, um, you can say it, Dice so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The horse's head. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so the horse's head. Because this is the first shock, really, yeah. of Absolutely. the film, and it sort of sets up everything. You're absolutely right because then, much like it's almost Hitch, it's like a Hitchcock move here, you, or um, uh, this idea of you, you, you give us something that is so very shocking early on, and it sort mm -hmm. of sets the the tenor for yes. uh, violent scenes to come, and then a lot of it, therefore, can be left up to the imagination of the viewer. Yes, and so as exactly. you say, a lot of it can be set in, say, distance, like you mentioned, the the killing of Polly that's shot in a distance, or maybe also uh, the shooting of Vito when it's uh, sh uh, shot from above, mm -hmm. uh, when he's, you know, uh, and, and the oranges and stuff. So that that all that, I think, can be set up. Of course, there are still a lot of violent scenes, as you point out, but I think yeah. that sudden burst of the horse's head and the blood and the screaming and the, the music and then the cutout and oh my goodness, the, the, the shock cuts and everything that really is, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it can't be emphasized enough just how, how horrifying that is. And it really sets the stage uh, uh, magnificently. Absolutely. I, I so agree with that. Cause I think a film that does that early on, it does set you up for like anything's possible for the rest of this movie. You're on edge because you know what these people are capable of. I do have a question for you guys. Well, first, I guess I should point out the actor. I, I think his name is John Marley. I could be wrong, but he's a he's a Cassavetti's guy. He was in uh, Faces with, Ca with Cassavetti's film, but yes. the head was fake. They made a fake horse head, and then come shooting. At least the legend goes. Uh, maybe it's spelled out in the offer. I haven't seen it yet, but um, it's, they switched it out for a real horse head, which they I got from the, like a dog food factory. Dog food so that factory. was a yeah, real horrifying. horse's head. And I was thinking about it. It's so I know that's a, that's a horrifying fact. And I love I love how you don't see the mechanics of like, how the hell did the horse head get in there? Like, OK, really? I was going to ask you guys about that. Yeah. yeah. How did it get <laughs> Wait, in? Was that it guy's was head? it Tom? Was it Tom? Well, Tom set or it up, but how did he? He must have paid someone. He must have paid some of his stable guys or something. But I imagine he would have to pay them a lot of money to do that. Like, how did they pull that off? Yeah, the, there's um, the, there there are some extra scenes, and uh, sometimes you can watch the film in a sort of expanded edition, you know, made for TV or something like that. And so, oh yeah, there the are, saga, there, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, and so there is a there is a, an explanation. That I think is provided if one sees those scenes um, involving, you know, the Don and and maybe Luca Brazzi, et cetera. But uh, without those, actually, it really I liked the actually the enigma and the mystery and the possibility of interpreting that to say maybe it was in fact uh, Tom who did it. I mean, you can still have that in your mind when you right. watch this 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 version of the film you know the, without the additional footage or the additional scenes and which i think is actually uh, e even cooler actually as a, as a possible alternative Me too. actually because Me it then too. it then uh, uh edits into a shot of the don's face yes uh kind of reacting to a conversation we don't hear what the conversation is but the assumption is that maybe it's tom reacting to or tom reporting about what he did uh, to the Don. Now, I know that that's one possible interpretation, one of many, but I, I love that possibility. And as you say, Jackie, 
there are things that we see directly, but even in those sequences, there are things that are left untold and mysterious, and we're not sure what's going on. And actually, that's part of the genius of this film, The Godfather, and uh, Coppola, I think, in general, which is the way in which he can choose to withhold information. Because there's a lot of what's known as, uh, what is it, ellipsis or ellipses, you know, these breaks or gaps, because suddenly we we go from one one shot and then suddenly we're in another place and it could be a, a jump of years yeah. that we have experienced without not really knowing what like we don't get Michael a big, but we, we, we know about it. Yeah. When Michael says he's been back a year to K, right. do you think he was lying? No. We, we, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I because think a couple it, it, years. It's exactly had what you said. It is an ellipsis. He really, it really does do a time jump. Um, just a dimension. It What's almost this? feels like a dimensions jump. Like he's in Italy and now he's here. And it's those cross dissolves too. You know. Yes. And before we get too deep into anything else, I want to bring up the oranges because yeah. <laughs> these oranges are out to get this family. Can I just say, like, <laughs> no, really, like. I don't know. It. I didn't notice it. I. This was my first time noticing the orange, like how prominent the oranges are. Like I know he went. I. I know he goes to buy fruit. I didn't realize it was like the oranges. And then even at the end, when he puts the oranges in his mouth and he's playing with his son, like right before death, it's like these oranges are like yeah. this motif of death. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And even like they're on the table at the wedding. Um, they're on the table when he's at the Hollywood guy, the producer's house. Like there's, I don't know. I just, I noticed it this time. Um, and, and also Tessio. just going back to what we said about oh, Tessio, like, yeah. yes, going back to what we said about, um, the kind of give and take and like the things he hides and the things he chooses to show. I mean, not that he's hiding anything, but I just think it's so telling that like, again, with this like kind of balancing act, it's so telling that the Don, the way that he just dies of a heart attack, like while he's playing mm-hmm. with his grandchildren. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, maybe yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that to <laughs> me like that, his death is just so telling of the entire story. And uh, the oranges remind me of it. And yeah. yeah. I wonder how they settled on the orange as a, as a harbinger of death. I, yeah, I wonder if there's, like, yeah, that, but yeah, he sticks with it through the whole trilogy. Yeah. Do you guys want to talk about the wedding? Yes. So <laughs> one, greatest one thing, first I, half I, hour. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say greatest first half hour of any movie ever. <laughs> I mean, in in the way that it establishes all the characters, you get a good feel for who they are. It's it's effortless. And there's just little details in it, too. Like uh, the guy who bakes the wedding cake. It's not yeah. Enzo, right? It's No, Enzo, Enzo is, the, is, the, is the his daughter's future husband. He's the Enzo is the guy that the yes. Don, he wants the Don to keep in the United States. So he works right, in his pastry okay. shop. And then and then he comes to visit the Don with flowers because the Don helped him stay in America. Right, when he's at the hospital. And he has that great yeah. scene where he pretends like the gun is in his jacket. But yeah. the, the guy who actually makes the wedding cake, because there's no. a scene where he's in the Don's yeah. office. No, it's a different guy. Yeah, but different he's telling guy, him, yeah. he's, like, he's like, wait till you see this cake. Like, you're going to love yeah. it. And then later in these crowd shots, when they're bringing out the cake, he's like there in the crowd. Like I, n- I never noticed them before. I actually yeah. just noticed them this last time, but he's like there. He's like looking proud of the cake and yeah. stuff. So it's just like a flurry of character. If just like really well staged things that are happening, everyone's like in the right place. There's so much detail in, in all the wedding stuff. And totally what you said, Greg, about the way that it just establishes anything. It's like 
they literally just asked or like Puzo asked like how do you or Coppola or both of them like how do you drive home that one like business and family are one and the same in this like world while also driving home their Italian heritage and just the way the Don does things and literally just came up with a perfect scene. It's It has yes. it all. And something I really love is that like I love the diversity of the different visits the Don gets like one guy is asking for someone to be murdered. One guy is asking for the man that his daughter loves to stay in America. Uh, Luca Brasi literally just wants to thank him. And then Johnny Fontaine comes in and he wants a role in a movie. Like, I just love these different, like, everyone wants something different. And I love that. I love that he's the guy they go to for all of that. One little neat side, too, is the guy that plays Luca Brasi. Obviously, he was a real enforcer and stuff, but he was nervous like acting alongside Brando. So his nervousness, Coppola Aww. wrote that into the script of being like, okay, you're going to be practicing your speech outside and then you're going to give us very nervous things. He just, again, that's a sign of a great director of just being able to roll with stuff and use real life things and put them into the movie like seamlessly. I love that. But yes, you're right. I mean, I think, I mean, look, maybe Bergman, you know, the, the first 90 minutes of Fanny and Alexander, Bergman's Fanny and Alexander, probably had something to do with the godfather too you know i could imagine of just like you're you're introduced to these characters through this like extended celebration and you're kind of seeing them at their height or like you know nothing's really going wrong it's like it's a day of happiness and then you can only kind of go down from there but i think setting that stage obviously the deer hunter does it too um with de niro you know there's the although i feel like that wedding scene goes on maybe twice as long as this one but uh yeah, it's it's a great sequence. And even the details, you're absolutely right to pick up on the details. Every time I watch it, always I see, I feel like I'm finding something new or I, or I find I'm I'm warming up to just those details. I don't know, just the, even the 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 things that are just so accessible like the kid standing on the feet as uh, dancing with Tessio I was mention or that. I love or, that. Uh, uh, or or even uh, you know things that are maybe m- seemingly more they become more uh, crucial to the plot, especially later on. Like I, I love, for instance, how Barzini, Barzini doesn't look happy at all. I'm like, uh, he, yeah. he never looks happy. And I love how he's just so angry all the time. And he's so, yeah. he, even at this wedding, <laughs> he looks so angry. It's, it's brilliant. It's just great foreshadowing, I suppose. And then just, just, as you say, the orange and the throwing of the food across the way there and, and, and uh, Clemenza drinking the wine out of the yeah. pitcher and even the shape of the pitcher that he's drinking. It's so, so cool. That's absolutely great. Yeah. And you're right. There are th- levels of the plot as well as just little details and the, and the, uh, the, the old guy singing the, oh. the, the song at the <laughs> microphone and everyone's laughing. And then um, uh, Mrs. Corleone is at the, yeah. is, you see her dancing a little bit and, and singing also at the microphone. It's so, oh, it's, it's so wonderful. You should get the, the the family feel the generational feel and all the intrigue and what's Sonny doing where's Sonny going with the, who yeah. is he going with where is he going I don't know and all this stuff and then Michael and Kay and then the look across where where Don is looking out the window seeing Michael coming and listen to the music when Michael and Kay comes in as well oh it's so great absolutely great. you're absolutely it's a perfect perfect world yeah yes. I love that it's, so much yeah when they're exactly it is when they're posing for the photo and he's like we're not taking this photo without Michael. And like the awkward, yeah. of course, when Michael comes and he like pulls Kay in, even though she's not really part of the family yet, like it's, yeah. I, I love too the way that the kids run into the Don's office, like when he's Me having too. these discussions and then Tom has to kind of like usher them out. It's just like nothing can be contained. It's just like life people are celebrating and then the family is I just so, 
you know, family is first and foremost. And yeah. Uh, yeah. But then also like family always is like work as well. And it's like he's working at his daughter's wedding and then like they kind of work at his own funeral. And but they they're not allowed to talk business at the table, though. Like that's the one place yeah. they can't. <laughs> but at these events, they're yeah. doing business. The christening, even at the end, he's like, well, Carlo, you got to come to my house now. It's like they're using these family events for business because exactly. that's what I mean, that's it. You know what I what I really love in this film, among everything else, is, is the the constant crying of babies. Yeah. So you hear obviously in the family, just when there's a big family get together, there's always a baby crying. But it also undercuts when Vito is is shot, you hear a baby crying. And yeah. when Sonny gets the call that Connie's been beaten again, there's yeah. his baby's crying. And it's like there's something about the babies crying in the background that just like really heightens it. And it's like, it, it makes it doesn't heighten it, but it's just like, it feels that much more authentic that totally. you know, there's always a baby. I know always babies. I also just love the like showman way that Vito comes out to like dance with Connie. And he's like, hello, my oh, fans. Yeah. Like he literally like extends his <laughs> arm and they dance and it's so sweet. Yeah. Love it. There's, there's so much to this movie. It's like, you <laughs> There's so much I know. And it's like, and it's really interesting. Last thing about the wedding is just that like the way that Michael straight up tells Kay that story about Johnny Fontaine. And I guess this is a good way to start talking about Michael. Like the fact that he doesn't lie and the fact that he like stands firm, he doesn't like, he doesn't want to be like them, but he's not ashamed of them ever. And I just love that about him. And that's a really good point because you said, such a key point here, which is at this point, Michael doesn't lie. Yeah. And this is very important because especially when we go to the end of the film. Yes. And another conversation between Michael and Kay, Michael lies yes. to her face and she believes it. I know. And yeah. it's almost like it's almost like uh, maybe he is uh, unintentionally at this point in the wedding kind of building up his his i don't know his truth meter or so whatever it is his 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 uh he's he's building up that that kind of feeling so that he can right. spend it later i suppose later when uh, he gives that very infamous no to her to yes, the, the lie so it's great point. that you mentioned that he tells the truth now it very straight and very bluntly tells the truth now and he says he says it at the same time yeah that's my father okay that's not me Yes. But then a point where he is his father in a way, that's where he lies. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's so, a great sense of uh, of irony and, and parallelism that's going on. You're excellent to pick that up, Jackie. Well done. And, yeah. And great point on bringing up the lie at the end. That's fantastic. Um, speaking of lies, do you guys think that when he comes back from Sicily and he tells Kay, like, we're going to legitimize, like, you guys think that's a lie? He might have meant it then. I, I think know. he means it. But then he's also no. I, I think I think yeah. I think there is a, a an argument to be made that yes, he's very sincere about his efforts to want to quote unquote legitimize the family business, and maybe again, I don't want to get into too many details. Maybe this becomes even more of a a plot point or something when we get into later films. But one can get a sense of it even here. I I would say because because first of all, it's a pretty big thing to move. The whole family business, yeah. the center of location from New York to to the, you know Nevada, right? In mm-hmm. terms of the gambling, and also it 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 does tie into this whole thing before about the drug business and and uh, the whole thing about uh, the Salazzo McCluskey line was that Don Corleone didn't want to get involved in this, 
Yeah. And so, but it was right as Tom Hagen and a little bit of Sonny, right? They say, you know, drugs is the way of the future. And right. so it could be that way of Michael trying to avoid that line by mm. going in a completely different route, which is, you know, the quote unquote, the, to legitimize the family business. Right to go legitimate. And so I think I think there is a subtle way or there's a, there are some clues already in this film to suggest that maybe he or he is being sincere when trying to do so. Now That's again, true. is he successful or not? Again, we're not sure or will he have to make some compromises along the way? I'm, we're not sure, but I think yeah, he it can be said that he's he's sincere. Or it's, it's definitely so. possible to read the film that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's I the journey of Michael too in the film too is just so well done because there's so many films that chronicle this kind of like transformation of a character, especially into someone that's a monster, essentially, um, as you see in mostly part two. Uh, well, no, I would argue he's a monster by the end of this first movie, but it's it's just done what like it never feels rushed. It feels subtle. Like it's exactly. it just it feels earned. Like you you could you could see why like these events like Apollonia car Speaking bombing and subtle, everything I mean, led yeah, him exactly. to this. Exactly. So like when Apollonia dies, it's so subtle because like we don't have a scene of him like crying or like killing Fabrizio. Like we don't get that. We just know that like this man has changed forever just because of what we've seen. We've seen them in love and then we've seen her die and we don't need to see his reaction to that. And that is it's genius. I love that. But let's talk about Sicily. Let's talk about this journey he takes to Sicily. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I could legitimately watch like an hour and a half of just him and Apollonia <laughs> being cute in Sicily. Those are just my personal feelings. Um, you, you know, what's funny is when I saw this when I was younger, the whole Sicily sequence felt much more languid. Like when yes! I was in high school, it felt like the slowest stretch. Totally. I, I still liked it, but it felt so slow. And then watching it this time, it's like it's quick. It's fast. Yes, like, it is. It's not that long. They don't. Exactly. No, really that, was, that was a point I was going to make in initial thoughts is I didn't realize how little time uh, Michael and Apollonia have together until this time around. Yeah. Um, but it's done well. They, he was, he makes a lot of the screen time yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. Apparently in the book, she's pregnant when she dies, but they don't specify that in the movie. Also, oh, I would wow. like to point out um, the actress who plays Apollonia. Her name is Simonetta Stefalini. And she was, she was 16 years old when they made this I know. movie. Um, but she doesn't look 16 at all. Like, I'm waiting to look like that. She looks older than I look right now, and I'm 27. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm waiting for that to happen to me, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, but yeah, like, I was watching it this time, and like, when she takes out her necklace, when he's talking to her dad, first of all, I love this old world courting. I know I'm like, I'm such a like progressive person, but there's something so sweet about the way that he courts her and she's such a traditional girl and I can't help falling for it. I really, really love it when she takes out the necklace that he got her and they smile to each other across the table. I literally out loud, I was all alone. I was just like, Oh, she likes him. Like I couldn't help it. I just I I fall for them every single time. Love them. I, I love that moment as well. That's such yes. a cute moment. You're absolutely it's right. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, and she's it trying so hard to show it off. Yeah. 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 Um, I love the moment too when Michael confronts the father of, of Apollonia, and yes. there's a confidence to Michael when he's when the father gets offended that they're talking about her, and he goes back inside, and you hear some yelling. Yeah. And the way that Michael is sort of like leaned back on this chair, very authoritative, like you would see th through all of Godfather 2, 
and yes. he's just like tell him to come back out here the, the the confidence and like the coolness and just like the power of michael in that scene is like it's like the seed of what it what it grows into in part two he threatens him he kind of threatens the guy doesn't he because he says something about like if you told them you that i that you know me that i was here um your daughter would lose a father instead of gaining a husband like is that him threatening her father i i always took it as like because before that he's like my name's michael corleone like a lot of people would pay you know a lot of, a yes. lot for that information it's like him giving up you know to the, to the father he's, he's showing his weakness and giving the father the upper hand he but yeah, is. I don't know but about then, the, that line. Yeah. But then the line uh, directly after where he's like, well, if you tell them your daughter would lose a father and she wouldn't get a husband, which sounds like a threat to me. I don't know. But he is so confident in that moment. And very regal as yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. Very regal. It's such a beautiful interlude. It's just it says so much about him and like motherland and just his like his last attempt. Really, it's like his last hurrah to like kind of stay away from the business but then it fails so badly that it's like his last straw it's like his last attempt which also turns into his last straw that's so sad yeah um, um i'd be curious i'd be curious to touch on sunny a little bit first of all it's you know most people in this film aren't actually italian like i don't think uh robert duvall is italian i don't think james Kahn is italian i could be wrong uh, I but think Ro- he's like robert duvall is not supposed to be italian right 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 yeah he's not supposed to be but I love, um, I mean, James Conn in this movie. I think, yes. too, as a young man, having first seen this movie, like, Sonny is the character that you gravitate towards, I think, too, because he's such the, he's, it's such a showy, it's not a showy performance, but it's a, it's a big, big role, larger than life role, and the, the, the role of the brother that's so protective of his family that, you know, he's crazy. Like, he's, his temper is completely out of control. Yeah. But, like, you have to admire, like, the lengths that he's willing to go to, like, in the name of his family. Totally. And, uh, yeah. It's yeah, interesting it's, it's to me, though, that it's like his blood family that's most important to him because he cheats on his wife. But it's like when it comes right. to his sister, it's like, no. And it's also, too, it's like the, the subtle things about what if the Don had instead made the choice? Because the Don made the conscious choice of not involving Carlo mm-hmm. in the family yeah. business. And he made yes. that choice in the back room at the the wedding, right? Don't mm-hmm. don't have him involved, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably I don't know if that's a reflection of what the Don thought of Carlo as a person, but I think one can say that it was more of a reflection of what he wanted to do to protect Connie. Because yes. he didn't want perhaps his uh his daughter's husband to be directly involved. Now, of course, Carlo took that to be a very personal slight, as we know. And all the aggression and all the frustration seems to have uh, lashed out on Connie, and that in turn antagonized his relationship with with Sonny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we all know how that turns out. So, <laughs> it, 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 but again, it becomes another vehicle for, as you say, to show just the depth of love that Sonny has for uh, for his his uh, for Connie, and also to respect essentially uh, his father's wishes to not have Carlo involved uh, and and the like. And I love the bit too, where, for example, when Connie shows that she's been hit and there's a bruise on her face and you see Sonny bite his, his finger. Yeah. Yeah. Frustration. He's just so angry, just biting his finger. And then Connie, no, 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 I, I, I did, you know, just trying to keep him back, but you know, he's just going to explode. Oh, it's just little moments like it. You can understand why he's feeling that way. It's, it's it's just little details. Oh, yeah. And when he when he goes, it, it's like a life 
has it's the the film changes so much definitely during yeah. that scene not just in terms of how he goes which is so violent and so uh vicious and so oh my goodness but also it's it's just the the, the trajectory of the film changes and the life of these characters change forever. Uh, yeah. So you're right. Sonny is so important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That the death scene, I, it's one of the most visceral death scenes ever in a film, I think. Definitely. And heart and just heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. I would just really quick. I just want to say Daisuke, I love your point about the Don, like maybe that's why he didn't want to involve Carlo, like because he's thinking about. Yeah, me. I love that. I never thought I love about that, that so much because he doesn't want Michael to be part of the business. It's like he wants the most minimal amount of his children to be involved in this. Even Fredo's like not really in it yeah. until, of course, like until he has to be. But uh, that's a great, great, great point. I hadn't thought about it. And it could go into if you go into what the Don is thinking. Right, because we always have to think how Don is this this Machiavellian super genius in terms of <laughs> how he's able to read people. Was this done on purpose? Was this a mistake on his part, etc.? You know, was it a mistake for him to send Luca Brazzi out to the Tatalias uh, yeah. to you know pretend that he wants to betray you know that sort of thing? And early was that a, a mistake? Right, according to Salazzo, the Don was slipping. So, yeah. I mean, were, were these things, was that, could he have handled Carlo's situation better? Again, who knows? These are, these are questions. Because again, had Carlo's situation been handled differently, maybe the situation between Connie, Carlo, and Sonny could have been different as well. Sonny could have still been alive. Who knows? Who knows? So it's, it's all this true. wonderful, rich speculation that can occur uh, just with these settlements. And again, involving Sonny and Carlo, which is such a key, key detail. Absolutely. I love that. Well, let's let's do uh, let's do our sight and sound. Let's do our favorite sight and sound from The Godfather. Dice Kid, you want to start us off? Oh, so this is a, a sight and then a sound, right? I guess that that's what the phrase sight is. Yeah. So I guess the, if you want so to I combine them, the, you can, but you don't. Okay, so they can be one moment, but they can be they separate can be moments separate. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is really that's very clever. Yeah. So I think maybe I don't know if it's my favorite sight and my favorite sound, but but things that come out to me. So I can say maybe the uh, the sound would be the 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 sound of the gravel, the rocks as Michael is walking away with um, uh, Al Neri and Tom Hagen behind him just after Carlo has been executed, and the sound of the gravel on the walking, which is a very key sound. That's very important to me. So that's one sound. And then the sight, I suppose, could be so many. But um, uh, I suppose maybe, again, it's it's a Michael scene. It's the slow close-in, a close-up into Michael or the camera movement into Michael as he's talking about planning to kill uh, Salazzo McCluskey. You know, I love that. He's in that you know, chair. That, yeah, exactly. And I love the that chair. they laugh yeah. at him. I love how they, like, we have that really dramatic shot, that beautiful shot, and then they just laugh. Yeah. Yeah, but then he slowly convinces them. Yes, uh, and then of course <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the plot is underway at that point. Yeah, that's a great choice. Thank you. Thank Both you. great choices for sight and sound. Um, so my favorite sound is um, it's the little sigh that the Don lets out after he's just talked to Johnny Fontaine, and he closes the door and he's just he's tired at this point. He wants to return to the wedding and he literally just sighs. 
And that's, I think, my favorite sound from the movie. I, I, I just had to. I also love Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's that's a fantastic mm-hmm. one. Also when You've Got Mail. Yes. Oh. What about your favorite site? My favorite site is The Shot. There's so obviously so many to pick up pick from um but it is the shot of the cemetery right before the dawn's funeral like the first shot with all of the cars and the flowers like it's the flowers specifically it's on this hill and all the flowers being brought up i love it i love that too uh mine is combined it's combined i think it's always been this it's the scene right before michael shoots salazzo and mccluskey it's that it's another kind of like the camera's moving towards him and Soloto's speaking yes. Italian to him and you hear the train passing. So it's like yes. this, the sound of the train, it gets louder and louder and you see Michael's eyes darting because he's about to, you know, do this thing. It's haunting. It's haunting. It it's beautiful. Totally. Um, well, Daisuke, I know you have to run, so we're going to let you go. But thank you so It was such a pleasure having you on the show. I've been such a fan of your YouTube channel for so many years, and it was just great to discuss The Godfather with you. For you know another Godfather aficionado, it's been a complete delight. Oh, thank you so much, the two of you. This has been so fun. Thank and thank you for inviting me uh, and on, this, on your journey through the sight and sound list or lists, I should say. Yeah. And so thank you so much for, for uh, considering me uh, and for inviting me. I, I had such a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daisuke, for your insight and your wisdom. It was such a great, such a great time talking to you. Thank you so much again, my friends. Thank sure. you. I had such a good thank time. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was Daisuke Beppu. He has a, if you have not seen his YouTube channel, we have the show, we have the link in our show description for this episode. Check it out. His stuff is so great. He's legitimately one of the best like film people on YouTube and just so kind and generous. As He's you just so heard. kind. And so passionate about film. I yeah, mean, it's, it's contagious. He has so much knowledge and it was just great talking to him. I didn't like, I don't know. He's so knowledgeable that i felt like before we started i was a little nervous but then the second you start talking to him he's just so sweet so nice and so yeah. smart so it was great having yeah him. absolutely well we do, we do have uh, next up we have pauline yes so pauline Tell kale me. Bad, no i'm just kidding i always play this stupid joke where i'm like i have bad news for you jackie it's and like i fall for it every okay. time because she's such a wild card <laughs> Okay, so she wrote a long thing. These are just a couple snippets I kind of snipped throughout okay. her review, but these are this is the highlight. So Pauline Kale says, If ever there was a great example of how the best popular movies come out of a merger of commerce and art, The Godfather is it. The movie starts from a trash novel that is generally considered gripping and compulsively mutable, though maybe because movies more than satisfy my appetite for trash, I found it unreadable. <laughs> Which I've heard. Coppola said the same thing. Coppola has said that the Puzo novel is like cheap and yeah, trashy. Oh my God. Um, Wait, can you read back what she said about satisfying my need for trash? 
she says maybe because movies more than satisfy my appetite for trash and oh because God, of that I she found that. the the novel unreadable i love that she says francis ford coppola who directed the film and wrote the script with puzo has stayed very close to the book's greased lightning sensationalism and yet has made a movie with the spaciousness and strength that popular novels such as Dickens used to have. Even when the plot strands go slack about two-thirds of the way through, and the passage of a few years leaves us in doubt about whether certain actions have been concluded or postponed, the picture doesn't become soft-headed. The direction is tenaciously intelligent. Coppola holds on and pulls it all together. The trash novel is there underneath, but he attempts to draw the patterns out of the particulars. It's amazing how encompassing the view seems to be. What a sense you get of a broad historical perspective, considering that the span is only from 1945 to the mid-50s, at which time the Corleone family, already forced by competitive pressures into dealing in narcotics, is moving its base of operations to Las Vegas. The Godfather keeps so much in front of us all the time that we're never bored, Though the picture runs just under just two minutes short of three hours, we keep taking things in. This is a heritage from Jean Renoir, the uncoercive, open approach to the movie frame. Like Renoir, Coppola lets the spectator roam around in the images, lets a movie breathe. And this is extremely difficult in a period film in which every detail must be carefully planted. But the details never look planted. You're a few minutes into the movie before you're fully conscious that it's set in the past. When Americanism, in quotes, was a form of cheerful, bland, official optimism, the gangster used to be destroyed at the end of the movie and our feelings resolved. Now the mood of the whole country has darkened. Guiltily, nothing is resolved at the end of The Godfather because the family business goes on. Terry Malloy didn't clean up the dock at the end of On the Waterfront. That was a lie. The Godfather is popular melodrama, but it expresses a new tragic realism. Ugh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. See, that's that review is why I love Pauline so much. Like, so beautifully put. And yes, it is that perfect, you know, marriage of art and commerce. Like, that's exactly what The Godfather is. And I think, too, that's why the film is so beloved. Beyond, I think, too, like mafia stories and crime stories being so compelling especially when the the people involved seem like everyday normal people, but just like it is, it's an art piece and it's commerce and they're married in this like beautiful blend of just storytelling. Like Coppola is a God. That was very well put. Um, I agree. The only thing I, okay. Johnny Fontaine's tux is a little too seventies. Johnny Fontaine never gets a ruffle shirt. (laughs) <laughs> That's like my one complaint. And also the furniture in Connie's know. house is a little too 70s-y. Those you are my think so? Complaints. Is there 70 stuff in her house? Just her couch looks very like mid-century. I don't know. I mean, I don't care. Well, yeah, because but... yeah, because at that point you're you're firmly in the 50s. Or almost. Almost. Well, actually. It looked very modern mid-century. Like it looked very 70s-y, her couch. I I can actually tell you the year that that scene takes place. The scene where where you see Connie <laughs> the inside of her her condo or apartment or whatever is 1948. And the reason wow. I know that is because my AOL screen name back in the screen name days for a while I had a couple, but one of my screen names was Monty Python 1948 because of course when you're young you just cram two things you love together and you just put it right in the title. But obviously That's I was hilarious. a Python fan, 
1948 is because that's the year that Sonny dies in The Godfather. So <laughs> that's how I know. Because that scene with Connie directly precedes Sonny's death, I know that that scene takes place in 1948. Wow. Thank you for that <laughs> insight. <laughs> Um, of course <laughs> i love talia shire we didn't even like talk about her and we didn't really talk about john cazal because he's in like he's more prominent in the next one but i mean both of them in the next one have such great even in this one i mean talia shire is amazing but i'm excited yeah, to do no, she's part great. two yeah yeah how far off is that one i'm not i think it's not that far ahead part two is number 31 so they are like 10 spots apart in the 2012 list oh, okay so we'll get to it in like 20 weeks <laughs> <laughs> that's half a year because of ping pong six yeah. months well good um, it'll give us some perspective you know <laughs> let's do letterboxd letterboxd okay i've got a four and a half star review here sophia coppola's dad did a pretty good job at, of adapting <laughs> hbo's succession for the big screen it's a great little indie movie check it out i saved that one too um I only have one low rating. Well, I guess I have a few. Half a star. I mean this sincerely from the bottom of my heart. This was the second worst film I've ever seen. House of Gucci is the first. Oh my God. That's Actually, the only bad one, one I'm going to read because they're just, they're not, I don't know. Someone gave it five stars and said, I think you get kicked off Letterboxd if you don't give it five stars. Yeah, it's very possible. <laughs> five stars. I wish Marlon Brando was my fairy godmother. <laughs> <laughs> Star and a half. No, just no. Made by men for men. See, I when I was little, I never wanted to watch it because I did think that I would feel that way. And then it took my mom telling me that she loves this movie and she is like primarily a rom-com person and really doesn't watch mafia stuff. It took her telling me she loves it for me to like actually be like, maybe it's not just for boys. And it's not. I'm here to tell you. I think it's not. Yeah. Well, again, like so many older films, it, it is very male centric. But I think the difference is that Coppola really values the female characters like the women in this movie are str are smart, strong women. And I think like that's yeah. the key is like, you know. Yeah. Four stars. No matter how great it is, it'll never be as Italian as Moonstruck. And that's a fact. <laughs> you know what? I love Moonstruck. This is more Italian. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> um okay this is my last one i just thought it was funny it's half a star blatant shark tail ripoff <laughs> <laughs> have you I seen shark tail are you a shark tail fan i know marty's in it right have you seen <laughs> there's it there's a martin scorsese shark no i haven't seen it he's not a shark he's actually a puffer fish like he's like the neurotic um <laughs> i think he's like a businessman who's like working with the mafia Wait, you have you have to see it. You have to see Shark Tale. Do I? Yes. It literally <laughs> is, it like, is the Godfather. Uh, I'd watch it. You should watch it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that was Letterboxd and that was Godfather. Cool. Um well, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we do have a brand new Patreon. Visit our Patreon page. You'll find some witty, interesting things there. Uh we have several different <laughs> tiers. And yeah, I mean, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys so much. And yeah. Yeah. What are absolutely. we doing next week? Well, this has been a blast. Next week, we are doing the Claire Denny film, Beau Travail. <sighs> Can't wait. So you're going to see some Denny Levant uh, dancing going on. Hell yeah. 
That's so funny because Criterion literally posted uh, Happy Friday today with like a disco ball and the photo was, yeah, that that last scene that I called. Oh, really? That's great. I love that. (laughs) So yeah, come back next week for Bo Trevi. It's super interesting one. A great one to follow Godfather with, I think, because it's just so completely different. Oh my God, yeah. Um, And thank you again to Daisuke for joining us. Yeah, thanks again to Daisuke. It was a pleasure. And uh, until next week, I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. I'm going to go to my mattress now, but to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Seen and Heard is an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club, featuring Greg Kleinschmidt and Jacqueline Postagion. Theme music by Andrew Cox. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say hi, email us hello at seenandheardpod.com or visit our website, www.seenandheardpod.com. <laughs>